You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey, welcome to Commando On Demand Insider, your fast-paced weekly update straight from Kim's desk to your ears. I'm Mike James, and in just a bit, imagine, if you will, your company or your work, and you're at home, and you have to pass the time somehow, so you're doing something that actually takes your company to over 26 million viewers. It happened. It's Dean Stoyer. He's the chief marketing and communications officer for the Phoenix Suns. Yes, you know basketball. It's the Phoenix professional basketball team, the Phoenix Suns, and how they've exploded their viewership during the COVID crisis to more than 26 million views. The success they never saw coming. Also, we're going to need to put on our thinking caps because this guy is smart. This guy is actually super smart. He's one of those brainiacs. Jim Collins is an MIT professor, and they are in the fight uh, against COVID-19. But beyond that, we're going to find out about the kind of computers they use, the recent potential breakthroughs in diabetes, and the challenges on the front line of the fight against COVID-19. It really is fascinating stuff. But again, hard to follow along. You need to concentrate a lot because this guy is super smart. And a real quick reminder, this is not the Kim Commando Show. Every week, Kim gives you the very latest in tech news, tips, DIYs, and we take the questions on the Kim Commando Show. And that is available as a podcast. You just want to go to getkim.com. If you'd like, you can try it for free for 30 days. Just use promo code Kim. That's getkim.com and use promo code Kim for your free 30-day trial. After that, it's $4.99 a month. All right, getting started here, Dean Stoyer. He's the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer for the Phoenix Suns and how a small idea to pass the time during the Suns' viewership up to 26 million. That's moments away on Commando On Demand Insider. And I want to take you back in time when you could actually go to a basketball game, right? You got your tickets, you got the perfect seats, and you dress up and you got your team garb on, and the crowd is there, and you got your hot dog and your nachos, and they're going through the aisles. The crowd is electrifying, and everything's going great, but something's wrong. We don't have basketball anymore. The crowds are gone. There's no more electricity in the air. What's going on? You see, when our national state leaders put stay-at-home orders in place because of the pandemic, everything changed in so many ways. I mean, let's focus on the NBA. No professional games have been played since March 11th. And I'm so proud to say our very own Phoenix Suns, and I know the Kim Commando show is heard in 400 markets, but 
It originates in Phoenix. So our very own Phoenix Suns were the first sports team to come up with a virtual way for the guys to play. So since mid-March, the Suns have been, I guess you'd say, presenting simulated regular season games through NBA 2K contests. Now, it's a video game using various athletes. And joining us here on the Kim Commando Show line is Dean Stoyer. Now, he's the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer for the Phoenix Suns and Phoenix Mercury. So, Dean, let me ask you this question to start out with. What was the biggest surprise you saw taking the players off a physical court to a virtual one in a video game because of COVID-19? Hey, Kim. Uh, First of all, thanks for having me on. And yeah, I would say the biggest surprise was the the turnout. Um, You know, we averaged over 17 games, we averaged 20, not average, we pulled in 26.8 million impressions, which far exceeds what a traditional game would have ever done. Wow, that's crazy. What is the number that a traditional game would have done? Well, on a broadcast, it's about 18,000, 19,000 tuning in, plus another 16,000 to 18,000 in the stand. So, um, you know, averaging, averaging over a million to two million per game on Twitch, uh, through Twitter and streaming on Facebook, uh, it just it, it blew us away. Blew us away. The numbers are astronomical. So, you know, all the players are young guys. So, were they readily adept at just you know jumping in? Did they have all the gear that they needed to just start playing this video game? Yeah, these guys are they're they're borderline professional gamers. I think uh, during the, <laughs> the NBA hiatus, they have probably uh, honed their skills even more. So. Uh, while they're not going to make as much as they would make playing NBA games, I think they would do pretty well playing uh, playing esports. So, yeah, they had their own equipment. When we started reaching out to uh, our Suns players, we had Brittany Griner from the Mercury play a game, uh, reached out to some of the Arizona Cardinals. We had a great turnout of young athletes that uh, had their gaming systems set up and they were adept at uh, getting online and, and playing on Twitch against each other and had a lot of fun doing it. That's awesome. So, how did you arrange the competitions? So, yeah, as you mentioned, we, we looked at, and I give my social team a tremendous amount of credit because within 24 hours of the league announcing it was going to go on hiatus, they came to me and said, hey, we have a way that we could still play out the season. And I said, well, how, how are we going to do that? They said, well, you know, if we actually play against the opponents that we were going to play in our last 17 games on the days that we were going to play those games, we could actually do it playing 2K on Twitch, like you said. So we, uh, we started reaching out to the first five teams that were going to be on our schedule. Uh, Dallas was the first one. It was 48 hours from that, that point. Wow. And, you know, we figured if we can get them on board and we, we, we were able to, we could get everybody else on board. Being the first team, as you mentioned, to, to announce we were going to do this, we, we tweeted out that first day that we're going to make this happen. Uh, it's amazing because the outreach, I got uh, a former basketball reporter who's now the Esports director for the Memphis Grizzlies reached out and he said, listen, if you guys need any help, let me know because we've got gamers around the country. So we were able to, uh, on the games that we didn't have actual NBA players or NFL players playing uh, the games, we were actually able to slide in some professional gamers that filled those spots and, you know, they all have their own following. So that's what led to the, the snowball uh, effect of more and more people tuning in. Uh, Ty Jerome, who's our rookie from Virginia, Played uh, played one game against Minnesota. Uh, that game drew 2.1 million viewers uh, between Twitch and Twitter, which you know even blew him away. He said, "I've never played in front of an audience that big before." <laughs> Gosh, you know, it's it's the numbers are 
are amazing, really. I mean, I yeah. never would have thought that you would be able to, you know, to attract that type of audience. It, you know me both. Oh, <laughs> wow. So it's been fun. So, you know, I, I read that the, you know, the NBA is going to start reopening a little bit, right? Starting yeah. soon. Um, are you going to keep the video game success going, Dean? We are. We are. And, and, you know, halfway through and once we started seeing those numbers, we started seeing the success and the, uh, the turnout. We started thinking, OK, what are we going to do next? Um, you know, you mentioned we're going to start heading back. There are some teams that have had uh, small practices, individual workouts, and the, the Suns and the Mercury are going to start doing that as soon as we're allowed to as well. But um, we're looking at, we actually have, have dubbed it the Battle for Arizona, uh, looking at a, uh, a 2K tournament that we're going to open up fans uh, for a $500 entry minimum uh, to raise money for local businesses, local nonprofits in the, in the Valley, in the greater Arizona area. So we haven't, I would say this is the first official announcement we're making. Um, we're, we're probably a month away from kicking it off, but yeah, we want to keep that going and keep the enthusiasm around it. Our players want to stay involved. But even when the games come back on the hardwood, we're we're looking at how do we keep this excitement and enthusiasm well, uh, going. We haven't figured. Well, I, yeah, I think you have the I think you have the uh, the the virtual energy right now on the court. What a great success story! And keep us posted on the charity uh, games too, because I'd love to help you out any way I can, Dean. Once again, thanks for joining us. Hey, don't forget, if you've got a good question about something digital, you can get Kim's unbiased advice. And it's advice that you can trust. America's digital pro, Kim Commando, and our nationally syndicated radio show. You just go to commando.com and in the upper right-hand corner, click on the Be a Caller button. We're going to ask you your name and for a couple of details about your question. And then Manny will get in touch with you. We'll set up a time where you can be on the show, ask your question on the show. It is fun. You can call your friends and let them know that you're going to be on the show. And that's, again, the Be a Caller button in the upper right at commando.com. Up next, it's an MIT professor. His name is Jim Collins, and he's on the front end of the COVID challenge, and they're trying to find a cure. We're going to find out about some of the challenges he's facing. Also, a potential medical breakthrough in the diabetes realm, and much, much more on Commando On Demand Insider. The COVID-19 crisis is giving artificial intelligence, those of us in the know, we just say AI, companies this chance to demonstrate whether or not they can really truly speed up the development of some new pharmaceutical drugs. But even before the crisis hit, there were some promising signs that AI could get new drugs through this whole discovery phase five times faster than conventional methods. You know, this is astounding to me that drug development typically takes a decade from idea to market. Think about that. 10 years. We do not have 10 years to wait in COVID-19. And the failure rates are dismal, over 90%. How much does it all cost? It's huge, between $2 billion and $3 billion. So AI has always promised to shave off some of the time and the cost, but the first AI-aided drugs just started to come through these clinical trials. And the pharmaceutical industry was still in this, oh, let's see what's going to happen. So the COVID crisis hit and everything had to speed up. But even before the pandemic, bioengineer Jim Collins and his team, they were working to combine the power of AI with synthetic biology 
because they were working on something totally different, antibiotic-resistant superbugs. Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Now, if you were to compare humans trying to research potential drugs and these cure versus AI-powered systems, how much time are we truly saving when we start using artificial intelligence? You know, I think we're looking at many orders of magnitude time saving, so say a factor of a thousand. So, for example, the traditional way for looking at antibiotics will involve testing molecules one by one in a lab to see if they exhibit any efficacy, any antibacterial activity against a bacterial pathogen of interest. This could take many months if you're looking at, say, an order of a million compounds. With a computer, we can actually search through a million compounds in a matter of minutes. And so you then can envision now expanding this to look across billions of molecules, which now enables uh, with the computer an AI model to look this in a matter of several days, if not a quarter of a month. And so the time saving is dramatic. Which is just phenomenal. And we need to have that now because we need to get our economy back. We need to get people back to work. I'd like to leave my house, <laughs> little things like that. <laughs> um, what type of computer system are you guys using? I mean, what, what, is that, what does that system feel like? What does it look like? What's on the inside? You know, on the inside are basically models that we call deep neural networks. So these are computer models that are structured loosely on the way networks of neurons in our brains are based, in that you can change the weights, the parameters used to characterize those interactions, by training the model. So what we do is use large amounts of data that we collect in the lab on different molecules to train the computer model to learn the features of those molecules that are associated with a therapeutic property of interest. In our initial case, it was molecular features that could make for a good antibiotic. You can then take that trained model and then apply it to large computer-based libraries of molecules that could be a several thousand, could be several million, could be a billion and a half, for example. And we've done each of these in turn in our recent study focused on AI towards antibiotic drug discovery. So have you had any recent like aha moments where you're like, yes, this is amazing. This is working. Our biggest aha moment came just a few months ago in our efforts around antibiotics. And I'll give a high-level description of what we did. We initially set up a very small training library of 2,500 molecules that included many known antibiotics like penicillin and Cipro and many drugs that are not antibiotics. We applied these to E. coli, a commonly known bacterial pathogen that also in many cases not a pathogen, in the lab to see which of the molecules exhibited antibacterial activity. We use this to then train a computer model to teach the computer to identify molecular features that are associated with antibacterial activity. We then went to the next step and applied it to a drug repurposing library made up of several thousand molecules, and we challenged the model to do two things. One was to identify molecules that are predicted to be antibacterial in nature. But second, and this was the aha moment, we asked the model to identify molecules that don't look like existing antibiotics. Only one molecule in that library fit those two criteria, and that's a molecule we called halicin. And it's turned out to be a remarkably powerful antibiotic, one of the most powerful antibiotics discovered to date. And it would have been virtually impossible 
for a human to identify it by eye because we had basically specifically said to the computer model, find molecules that don't look like anything that we would have identified as being an antibiotic. And that was a really big aha moment pointing to the real power of AI-type approaches. So when you came up with this antibiotic, is it used for something like C. diff or is it on a, would it go to a clinical trial for some other type of bacterial infection? So it was originally being developed as a diabetes drug and why it was in this repurposing. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we found that it has potent activity against a remarkable array of bacterial pathogens, including multidrug-resistant, extensively drug-resistant, and pan-resistant pathogens from the CDC. We looked at 36 different panels of such pathogens from the CDC and the molecule house and was effective against 35 of them. We then went and did animal work and showed that it worked against C. diff. So as your listeners may know, C. diff is a nasty gut pathogen. It's horrible. It's just, it's terrible. My, the, reason, the only reason why I know about it is that on a personal level, Jim, is that um, it was, what, two, about two and a half years ago, my mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Mm. And, and they gave her three months to live, oh. uh, which, which I said, you know, and it was stage four. And I said, well, you know, this is this is not going to work for me. Uh, and I didn't know anything about healthcare, cancer, anything when this happened. And so I, me, me being her primary caregiver, uh, I decided that I would learn everything I could about pancreatic cancer and took her to MD Anderson in Houston, where over a period of 18 months, they shrunk the tumor down from a lemon down to the size of a... Uh, uh, probably your pinky fingernail, and she did. Tar- she got targeted radiation. She went through the Whipple procedure, mm. and they and she they took out the tumor. Uh, she's cancer free, and then she developed C diff. Uh, and then she was steps away from a fecal transplant when they the uh, the folks at the Mayo they said, you know, we have a clinical trial drug we're going to throw against it, but and it and thank God it worked. Um, but it's a nasty, nasty infection. I mean, I don't wish this upon anybody. It is, it is, it is very nasty. Now, my son, who's now a high school senior, he was diagnosed with the C. diff infection several years ago, and he actually became quite sick from the antibiotic they gave him and had to be hospitalized because of his reaction to antibiotic. But it's a, uh, a gut pathogen that poses significant challenges uh, across the world, but including in the U.S., there are about... 250,000 cases of resistant C. diff infections each year, leading to 13 to 14,000 deaths. So it's a very problematic bug that doesn't respond with antibiotics. But nonetheless, in this mouse model, we found the halcyon was remarkably effective against C. diff. And in a separate mouse model, we found that it was also very effective against Isinobacter baumani, which is also known as the Iraqi bug. It's a bug that often found in, in skin wounds, and it's also been a big problem for U.S. soldiers coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, causing difficult to treat, if not in some cases untreatable infections. And it's at the top of the WHO's list of uh, nasty pathogens for which we desperately need, need new antibiotics, and we found Hallison worked very effectively against the Cinebacter Belmonte. And in the late stages of this study, we also found it would work against TB. 
that was not done in a mouse model, but in a in a dish in in vitro experiments in the lab, but remarkably effective against TB. And so we we think that the molecule has a lot of potential. There's work to be done, and we're exploring how we can advance it toward clinical trials. Hey, if you love this digital stuff and you love to be on the cutting edge of what's going on. Sign up for Kim's Breaking Tech News. So we've got security alerts, we've got data breaches, and much more digital know-how. It's the free Commando newsletters. You can get yours, again, free at commando.com, which is K-O-M-A-N-D-O. And on the top, click on the Get the Newsletters button, and you got them. All right, coming up next, more of Kim's conversation with MIT professor Jim Collins on Commando On Demand. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. So now, how is your work helping with getting to some type of end game with COVID-19? So we have uh, pivoted our research in many ways to address the pandemic, and specifically on our AI drug discovery, we've pivoted in two ways. First is we are now all in on utilizing the platform to see if we can discover new and effective antibiotics to treat bacterial infections that are problematic for COVID-19 patients. What's not appreciated by many is that bacterial infections are highly problematic for COVID-19 patients. One out of seven of folks needing hospitalization have a bacterial co-infection. 50% of the COVID-19 patients who die have a bacterial co-infection. So it's highly problematic. Thinking back to the 1918 Spanish flu, that pandemic was so problematic primarily because of bacterial co-infections. And that was during the days before we had penicillin, so it was in the pre-antibiotic era. We are in need of more effective antibiotics that could be given either prophylactically to somebody in the hospital and or given to a patient who develops these infections. The second way that we've pivoted in using the platform is now we are racing to get training data that would enable us to train a model, not now to discover new antibiotics, but to develop and discover novel antivirals that could be used to treat SARS-CoV-2 infections. We've gathered some data from the literature and from publicly posted data, but we are now queuing up efforts within my lab at MIT to collect those data that are critical to make a powerful AI model. So do we need to find more antibiotics? Because we always hear like, well, you know, if, if we didn't prescribe too much amoxicillin or people didn't take too much Cipro or whatever, that we wouldn't need to find these stronger antibiotics. Is there any, is there validity to that? Yes. Unfortunately, there's strong validity backed by data that uh, resistance is growing across the world, has been growing for the last few decades, but it's been picking up pace and becoming more problematic for two big reasons. One is that the resistant strains, which previously primarily had been found in hospitals, and they're still there and, and causing problems in the hospital settings, they're now outside in our communities. And second is that the situation is compounded 
by the fact that antibiotic development is stymied and is quite anemic. And it's largely due to the fact that the antibiotic market is broken. Biotech and pharma are getting out of the business because it costs more or less just as much to make an antibiotic as it does to make a cancer drug or a blood pressure drug. And whereas you would take your blood pressure drug for the rest of your life, you typically going to take an antibiotic for a few days, maybe a week. And so it's very difficult for drug companies to recoup the development costs. And to the business model, it doesn't make sense. Then if you're going to try to pour $2 billion or $2.5 billion into the development of a molecule that either you can't sell because they're going to be shelved in the case of an antibiotic, or you can only sell for very transient uses at very low cost. So we are in critical need of discovering, designing, developing new antibiotics, including new classes of antibiotics. So what do you think could happen next if we don't develop these antibiotic-resistant uh, I mean, we have these antibiotic-resistant superbugs. Do you think that we could be at some point in a pandemic situation because we don't have uh, the therapy for that? You know, I, I, pandemics will typically arise through either a respiratory illness or a vector-borne uh, pathogen. Uh, it may, you, know, you do have bacterial infections that, can be, that are respiratory that could be problematic, um, and that, that's the latter cases where you could envision problematic pandemics. In general, you'll see more epidemics where it'll be uh, more localized cases. I think broadly the concern is that the number of hospitalizations and the number of deaths resulting from antibiotic-resistant infections will surely go up if we don't address this crisis, if we don't encourage and motivate young people to enter the field, if we don't encourage and motivate through incentives, through changes in business models for biotech, pharma, nonprofits, and nation states to get behind development, we are going to be in dire straits. The UK Commission on Antibiotic Resistance did analysis and said if we don't address the antibiotic resistance crisis now, that the number of deaths resulting from antibiotic resistant infections could grow to 10 million per year by 2050, and that would outpace the number of deaths due to cancer. So we, we are in critical and desperate need. And you know, I'm not sure you necessarily characterize it as a pandemic, but you certainly can characterize it as an existential crisis that unfortunately is just going to grow if we don't address it now. So, so it seems that there needs to be a multi-pronged approach. You need to get more young people interested in the field, right? The pharmaceutical companies need to figure out how to make money at it because they're for-profit centers. If they're going to make more money on a cancer drug, which they are, you know, than uh, than a uh, than a Z-pack, you know, on steroids or whatever it may be. Um, what else do we need to do with that? You know, I think we I think we need to raise the awareness of the public. I, I think we benefit from engaging. Hollywood from engaging the sports world, each of whom have been impacted by this, to raise awareness similar to what we saw happen with HIV in the 90s, where I thought uh, Hollywood got nicely engaged, the sports world got engaged uh, uh, largely as a result of, of Magic Johnson's infection, and people became aware, and support came in. The young talent in science got motivated to go into the space. So I think we have a ways to go. We are taking on the challenge, and have just recently announced that we're launching the Antibiotics AI Project at MIT, 
now with support from the Audacious Project that's run through TED. And there we're going to be using our AI platform to attempt to accomplish an audacious goal of discovering seven new class of antibiotics against seven of the world's deadliest bacterial pathogens over the next seven years. And in conjunction with this, we're also launching a nonprofit that we'll be partnering with to take our discoveries out of the lab, out of the university setting, and move them into clinical trials through partnerships with Biotech Food Pharma, other nonprofits, non-government organizations, and nation states, so that we can advance these so that patients could use them. And we hope that this will help represent a new model that nonetheless will need, obviously, significant support and eventually significant biotech or pharma partners to get it through to distribution and marketing, but a model that will enable us to really help move these new molecules into patients. Well, it certainly sounds like we definitely need to move on this sooner than later, obviously. Um, if somebody wants to learn more about this project, where can they do that? You know, I think the, the starting point would probably be uh, uh, looking at some of the work we're doing at MIT, the various websites if they looked up my lab. Uh, Jim Collins and I'm partnered with Regina Barzilay and Tom Giacola, who are two brilliant AI researchers at MIT, and through J-Clinic, the Jamil Clinic, which is our AI focus at MIT, we now have additional support in a website around a broad effort called AI Cures that I encourage people to look to, where we are posting data, encouraging young people to share their models and really try to create a community, an innovative ecosystem of young creative folks who could team up and try to make advances that could possibly impact the world and, frankly, impact this pandemic. Because going back to a point I raised earlier, bacterial infections are playing a very big role here. And we need to strengthen our arsenal, not simply on antivirals, which is no simple task, but as well around antibacterials. Hey, Jim, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. Well, I appreciate you you having me on your show, Kim. It, it It was nice talking to you. Special thanks to our guests on this Commando on Demand podcast. You just heard Jim Collins, who's an MIT professor on the front lines of COVID-19. And, of course, we thank Dean Stoyer. He's with the Phoenix Suns, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer for the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. You get these podcasts delivered to your device automatically every time. To do that, just go to your favorite podcast player, Android or Apple, and search for K-O-M-A-N-D-O. Once you find us, there's the Commando on Demand podcast. And then don't forget the Consumer Tech Update podcast, which is where you get all the latest news every Monday through Friday. And we thank you again. We'll see you next time on Commando on Demand.